Hi everyone, it's John and Ben. And welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985 Santa Claus the movie. One minute at a time. And it's just me and Ben this week, and I, I don't know if we're going to be able to top that runtime from minute 46. I don't with, know with if we'll, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that. Never say, so. never say never. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I appreciate that you let me say my line this week. Last week, you just barreled right through and you said one minute at a time and you didn't let me say it. I'm sorry. I was just, I got a little excited. What can I say? <laughs> So this week we're going to be talking about minute number 47. I don't have any news to cover at the top of the show. Did you have any notes to cover before we dive into minute 47? No, I don't think so. We don't have anything from anyone. Nobody written or anything. So we could just go right into the minute this week. So our minute opens up with Miss Tucker and Cornelia. We see them finishing off a very large meal. Miss Tucker says, mm. I can't eat another bite. Me too. Now, this looks like the same exact room we saw Miss Tucker and Cornelia in earlier when Cornelia was doing her homework. Yes, it is. I guess it also doubles as a dining room. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same exact room. They didn't change anything up, I don't believe. We'll have to do a side-by-side -side comparison. <laughs> no, I believe you're right because when we see Joe popping up, in the window a few mm -hmm. seconds from now, we see the phone and the bowl of fruit we were talking about earlier. Yes, that's right. Yep. And like I was saying, we see Joe. He pops up in their window. He got tired of looking at people eating at McDonald's, so he decided to go watch people <laughs> eat from house to house, apparently. Yes. So we hear a rustling sound just as Cornelia catches a glimpse of Joe. And I thought it was, oh, Joe must have made a noise outside that mm -hmm. caught... Cornelia's attention but now after I've rewatched this minute I believe it's the noise of Miss Tucker moving her chair even though we don't see this but I believe it's Miss Tucker moving her chair to get up because Miss Tucker takes her cup of coffee and leaves to go to the library to watch her masterpiece theater well I'm taking my coffee to the library so I can watch my masterpiece theater. I believe you are correct. Yes, I think it is uh, Miss Tucker making that noise. Because I'd assume if it was anything besides Miss Tucker making the noise, that Miss Tucker would also go like, what was that? Right. My heavens, what was that outside the window? Yeah, I agree. I agree. But the way it's cut, it looks like Cornelia is reacting to the sound. Yeah, it does. And as Miss Tucker is saying how she's going to leave the room and watch Masterpiece Theater, we hear a clock chiming in the background. So she has to leave the room right at that exact time to go catch her show. It's very important. You don't want to miss that show. It's must-see TV. <laughs> yes. Now, I know you are going to get into Masterpiece Theater here. Yes, yes I um, am. But I would like to just say a couple of things before we move on. A couple of things from the book. Before you move into your Masterpiece Theater info. Fair enough. And I have a few comments about the dining room table as well. Okay. Okay. According to the book, Cornelia and Miss Tucker are actually supposed to be sitting at opposite ends of this table. Not, like, next to each other. As they are in the movie. They're supposed to be, like, at to complete opposite ends of this table. You know, more formal-like. Oh, I and, can definitely picture that. You know, yeah. many movies have done that to, like, mm -hmm. signify, like, this vast area. 
Right. Like yeah. I picture Cornelia like on one end and then like far across the other side is Miss Tucker. Right. I could see that. I could yeah. picture that. And it is a candlelit dinner, which it is in the movie as well. So they got that the same. Uh, I just want to say that according to the book, there is enough food to have fed a half a dozen hungry neighbors. And all of the leftovers were going to be going into the garbage because there are no leftovers in that house kept. So it's all wasted food when they're done eating. And then in the book, it also makes a little ding at Miss Tucker's weight here. Um, they, I think they mention it later on in the movie as well. And we may have talked about it in past too. I'm not really sure. It says here, Miss Tucker mopped the last of the gravy from her plate with a piece of freshly baked bread and said contentedly, I can't eat another bite. She had had at least three helpings of everything, Cornelia noticed. <laughs> so, <laughs> while Miss um, Tucker had three helpings of everything, Cornelia barely ate any of it. <laughs> So let's talk about what they have on this dinner table. We see a yes. little basket of bread mm -hmm. and there's some vegetables. Now the meat, I have examined this and it appears to be roast beef to me. Does the book shed any light on the meat mystery? Yes. So the food that is prepared on the table, we have potatoes, vegetables, and a rare roast beef. Oh, nice. Uh -huh. Excellent. I did yeah. it. You did. Good I called job. it. Good job. There's also obviously bread, which it doesn't mention in the book, but that's clearly there as well. So, And this food was all prepared not by Miss Tucker, but the book no. did establish earlier that they do have an unnamed cook. Yes. Unless his name was Cook. Uh, it's a girl and it's a cook. It's a female cook. I didn't realize it was a female cook. I don't believe you... Yeah. Mentioned this detail earlier. Well, I would have brought it up in about five seconds when we go on to the, um, to a little bit later when Cornelia gets up. But, uh. <laughs> but we don't actually see this cook anywhere in the movie. No. No. We don't see any, um, I don't know. I don't know what the correct term is. We don't see any, uh, helpers in this household. You know, no. No butlers, no cooks. We just have Miss Tucker, the nanny, and then we have the chauffeur. But I believe there are other workers in this house. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, how Miss Tucker just leaves the room to go watch TV mm -hmm. and leaves all this dirty dishes and leftover food on the table. Right. I was wondering if another servant came in and cleaned it all up. Yes, I believe that's exactly what happens because... Later on, it alludes to the fact that there are more people. I mean, it's in this minute, but later on in the minute, according to the book, it alludes that there are more people that work in this household. You have the advantage of having the book. I just have movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like 99% of our listeners. <laughs> we can just go off of what's on the screen. Right. Yes. That's why we have you here to enlighten us with your knowledge of the novel. <laughs> Yeah. So, Ben, what was that TV show Miss Tucker was going to go off and watch again? Oh, yes. A Masterpiece Theater. Now, Masterpiece Theater, for those who didn't know, is a drama anthology series that has aired in the United States 
on PBS Public Broadcasting since January 10th, 1971, and it still airs on PBS to this day after 49 seasons. Can you believe that? Wow, it's older than you. The series has aired numerous acclaimed British productions. The program is now simply known as Masterpiece. The word theater was dropped from the title in 2008. Oh, did it make it sound too stuffy or something? (laughs) Or is it just not theater enough? I don't know. I have not watched any Masterpiece theater. Earlier off mic when I was taking my notes about Masterpiece Theater, you mentioned that you knew nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And I told you, um, well, my knowledge of Masterpiece Theater begins and ends um, with Sesame Street because they do a skit every now and then called Monsterpiece Theater hosted by Cookie Monster. The original Masterpiece Theater from 71 to 1992 was hosted by a gentleman named Alistair Cook. So, Monsterpiece Theater was hosted by Cookie Monster, wearing a smoking jacket, sitting in a big leather chair, and he would call himself Alistair Cookie. Oh, hello there. Yes, Alistair Cookie, welcoming you to Monsterpiece Theater. Today, me proud to present a modern masterpiece and that's where my knowledge (laughs) of masterpiece theater begins and ends yeah and uh when he was saying that it reminded me that i i have seen that as well but i didn't know you know i I didn't know anything about it it was just a sesame street little thing to me so that was something that was something for the grown-ups watching sesame street yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) your average five-year-old wouldn't get that joke no I didn't get it until much older in life. Yeah. And just before Miss Tucker leaves the room, she tells Cornelia to make sure that she learns those Latin verbs. Very important. And you, little miss, make sure you learn those Latin verbs. Always on Cornelia about that homework. Cornelia cannot take a day off. You know, I mean, this is clearly a special occasion day. You know what I mean? Like, we have nice clothes, nice dinner. I, we think this is Christmas Eve? Maybe, Maybe, question mark? So, I mean, like, who's going to make a kid do Latin verbs on Christmas Eve if this is, in fact, Christmas Eve, you know? Well, I, well, a year ago in movie time when it was Christmas of 1982, Christmas Day, she was on Cornelia about doing math and American history. Well, I guess that's true. Well, no, that wasn't actually Christmas Day. Remember, that was like a Christmas season no, no, we, we determined Did that we? was Christmas Day because Santa was falling asleep <laughs> in his soup and then he oh, looked yes. into the magic snow globe. Right. Oh, my gosh. It's so we hard. We went through this. If only you would listen to the podcast after you edited it. <laughs> I have such a hard time keeping this straight. And we are the ones who have laid out the timeline and I still yes. can't keep it in my head. Yes, it's the timeline that we <laughs> determined. I even have it written down right next to me and I still can't seem to get it straight. So Ben, Latin <laughs> verbs, Latin yes, verbs. Yes, I, yes. I have a bookmark here to latindictionary.wikidot.com. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not going to read everything on here, but briefly... It says the verbs of Latin are probably the most convoluted things in the language, mostly due to the vast number of forms that each verb could take depending on how it's being used. And they give a few examples. 
and it goes on to say verbs are the most diverse words in all Latin, with some verbs having over 100 different forms that each are interpreted a different way. Isn't that confusing? Yeah, it kind of sounds like English. <laughs> <laughs> so props to Cornelia for studying those Latin verbs. She's going she's gonna to need it. Yeah, I don't know where she's going to need it. I don't know. Maybe she's going to be a doctor, I guess. I don't know. So after Miss Tucker leaves the room to watch Masterpiece Theater, hosted by Alistair Cook, <laughs> because he was still hosting <laughs> in 1983, Cornelia smiles and looks back at Joe. Joe is just licking his lips there in the window. He's drooling over that food <laughs> that he was watching Cornelia and Miss Tucker eat. And once he realizes Cornelia has seen him, he ducks out of view. Yes. And she's like, hey, that's the boy I saw a year ago snooping around our house. So here's the problem in the book. This was only a few weeks later. Movie time, Ben. We're going off of movie time. I know. But how? this is why I get so messed up with timelines. <laughs> because I know we have to go by movie timeline. But according to the book... She first saw Joe a few weeks before standing alone on the street. So then it just, so it's so hard because, you know, we said that Christmas Day 1982 was in the snow globe. And then McDonald's starts the Christmas season of 1983. Yes. So it's just. Ben, your brain. Your brain's hurting. (laughs) brain can't it's too hard to keep it in my keep it straight okay we're going off of movie time i just i'm gonna say joe was so stealthy that he's probably been snooping around their house maybe picking out of their garbage and stuff yeah for uh, over a year now he just would he's just so (laughs) stealthy that cornelia's never caught a glimpse of him until this night because that roast beef looks so tasty because he was just at McDonald's. <laughs> Possibly. That could have been the day before. You don't know. Well, because, well, I mean, I know I'm going by the book here, which kind of makes things harder. But according to the book, he was at McDonald's and then he saw the drunken Santa, which we saw earlier because they editing, they messed that up. But the McDonald's and the drunken Santa and then not many blocks away. Joe walked not many blocks away to Cornelia. So it's all the same day in the book. Well, I, but I not appreciate, in, I don't I appreciate know if it's your, in the movie. I appreciate your insights with the book timeline, but I'm just saying if it's not in the movie, it's not canon. Well, we don't know because they never use any timelines after. This is why we. <laughs> determined our timeline i'm trying to stick to the timeline that we determined ben you and i this is the definitive movie timeline that i'm referring to right but it just (laughs) i'm just saying that mcdonald's and this could be the same day okay i can go with that in our timeline he was just at mcdonald's drooling over the chicken nuggies and (laughs) now he is at cornelia's house drooling over the food on the table okay i can go along with that okay that's all on screen we can we can we can go with that okay so now so we so moving right along (laughs) we have a couple really good close-ups of cornelia yes and you can see clearly that cornelia is wearing a retainer yes she is so 
So this is something we did not ask Carrie about, Carrie K. Heim, in our interview with her. Right. So so Ben reached out to Carrie herself yes. through the miracle of social media. Yes. And we thought it was going to be a cliffhanger. We and thought we Ben would have to say, tune in next week or at some point in the future, and we may or may not have an answer to this, right. if this was her own retainer or not. Yeah. But Ben, how about you take it from here? Yes. So um, I asked Carrie if this was her retainer or if it was part of her costume for the movie, and she told us that it is, in fact, her retainer and that... Gino thought it was a good idea that she has it because of a timeline to show that time had passed because I know we're not supposed to talk about later on in the movie, but later on in the movie, she doesn't have this anymore. So it kind of shows that time has traveled forward, you know, has progressed through the movie. So anyway, so she, this is her retainer, her personal retainer, not a costume accessory. And wasn't there one more part of that story, yes. Ben? So <laughs> Carrie's orthodontist tried to get money from the movie for using <laughs> the retainer that he made for Carrie <laughs> because it was used on screen. <laughs> I'm going to assume he was not successful. I don't believe he was, no. <laughs> So now I just want everybody to picture that we have like a Santa signal and Ben turns it on whenever we have a Cornelia related question. <laughs> yes. And Carrie answers us right away. Right. <laughs> or it's like the phone that the Powerpuff Girls have that yeah. goes off when the mayor can't open his pickle jar. Right. Right. Like, bah, bah, bah. oh, it's a Santa by the minute related emergency. <laughs> Hello, what is it? <laughs> I'm just very thankful that she got back to us about this question. So back to the minute Cornelia gets up out of her chair and starts filling a plate with food, starting with a slice of roast beef. And we have confirmed that it is indeed roast beef. In my head, I kind of assumed this was Thanksgiving, but mm -hmm. it's clearly not Thanksgiving. Maybe she has to dress up like this every night for supper. It seems like something Miss uh, Tucker would would demand like you got to dress up nice and dainty like a young lady for dinner when it's only just the two of them yeah i don't know the next shot is cornelia opening up a side door she is holding a plate of food and a can of soda now before we move on <laughs> from this i have stuff in the book that happens between her filling up the plate and her opening the door okay go ahead that was removed or not filmed in the movie Cornelia began to heap an empty plate high with little bit of everything on the table. Carrying the plate of food, she slipped out of the dining room, so that is apparently the dining room, and through the kitchen. She crept quickly past Cook, who, with her back turned, loading clinkling bottles of wine into the dumbwaiter in the pantry. Her step-uncle had vast racks of wine down in the cellar. Reaching the servant's entrance at the rear of the house safely, Cornelia opened the back door and peered out into the darkness, and she called out softly, Psst. So she went by the cook, and the cook was putting wine bottles in the dumbwaiter, which is another thing that we see later on in the movie. So there was a dumbwaiter in this house on set as well. I think it's funny crazy. that the, the author of the book... <laughs> couldn't even come up with a name for, for the cook. I know. 
the, this movie has something against chefs and cooks. I'm saying Groot got his role basically cut out, or his speaking role anyway. Yeah. The head elf, and now this female cook of Cornelia and Miss Tucker's establishment mm-hmm. is just cook. Yeah. And so Cornelia is bringing this food out to Joe using the servant's entrance. And you can see here they clearly do not maintain the service entrance. There's there's snow all over here. When was the last time they brought out the trash? I mean, or did it just snow? It's just questions. Questions yeah, have, I have. You know yeah, what I mean? It could be a fresh little coating of snow. Yeah. You know, that happens once it does. in a while. It does. So, like you said, Cornelia starts calling out... Which Joe does not like, by the way. He does not like that she's calling him little boy. Well, yeah, it's like the equivalent of, like, trying to call your puppy in, you know? Yeah. Come on, puppy. Come on. Good boy. Come <laughs> right. on. Come here. <laughs> I mean, which I always thought it was funny that she called him little boy anyway, because he's clearly the same age as her. It's like, would you? do you want someone walking around calling out to you, little girl, little girl? <laughs> But whether he liked it or not, it does right. catch his attention. It and works. Whoop, he <laughs> pops right out from behind a trellis. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this seems to be like a patio area. And since yeah. it's a winter time, it looks like it may have been used as a garden. There's a fountain that we see, but yeah. it's not in use, obviously, because it's the middle of winter. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned, there is uh, three or four trash cans off to the side as well. She places down a dish of food for leftovers. Cornelia has made them look extremely appetizing. I got to commend Cornelia's plating of these leftovers because I want to eat this. Yes. So in this minute, in this 30-second chunk of the minute that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. we clearly see carrots, mashed potatoes, a piece of bread, some green vegetables that I've called broccoli in my notes, yeah. and the slices of roast beef. Yeah, it could be broccoli, or it could be cooked spinach, or green beans. Asparagus, maybe? Asparagus. It could be a lot. There are a lot of green vegetables that it could be. <laughs> now, in addition to this nicely plated plate of leftovers, we also see, clearly visible, a can of... Coca-Cola! <laughs> now, everyone, pay attention <laughs> to the view of this can of Coca-Cola because it's very important and it may come up in the future. Right. We see it very boldly says Coke. Mm-hmm. Then trademark red can. Now, Ben, is there anything you'd like to add before I go into a little Coca-Cola history? Um, no, I don't believe so. All I, all I want to say is that the uh, Coca-Cola by name is not in the book. There's, there's no mention of a drink. It's just, um, just the food that she puts down is what's mentioned in the book. So you can move on. Uh, talking about the Coca-Cola, and then I'll have a little bit of what Joe is thinking, which we'll we'll talk about after your Coca-Cola trivia. So, what do you got? So, Ben, Coca-Cola was invented in the late 19th century by John Stiff Pemberton. Let me say that again. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> now you're going to keep in both tapes. <laughs> As I very closely read my notes. 
been. Coca-Cola was invented in the late 19th century by John Stiff Pemberton <laughs> and was bought out by businessman Asa Griggs Chandler, whose marketing tactics led Coca-Cola to its dominance of the world's soft drink market through the 20th century, according to Wikipedia. That seemed very hard for you to get. I those know, are these, some quite names. Those are those are names, names are a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> when launched, uh, Coca-Cola's two key ingredients were cocaine and caffeine. That sounds like a great mixture. <laughs> Definitely have some pep in your step after. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Drinking some of that. I could see why it was successful at the beginning. Everybody had to just keep going back for more. Two highly addictive concoctions in one thing. Well, originally it wasn't marketed as like a soft drink. It was marketed as like a miracle elixir sort of thing. Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, this will cure what ails you. It's like, yeah. oh, I do feel better already. <laughs> it's all in my head, but I feel good. <laughs> the cocaine derived from the coca leaf and the caffeine from the cola nut. So you can see how it got its name, Coca-Cola. Yes. coca <laughs> Cola. They were so creative with their name. <laughs> and, of course, the American version of Santa Claus, the American version mm-hmm. of Santa Claus. <laughs> I was going to say 80 times. Let me start over. <laughs> and, of course, and, of course, Ben. Are you paying attention, Ben? Of course, Ben, the American depiction of Santa Claus, the traditional jolly, twinkly-eyed, big belly red suit you mean santa the, claus the one the movie is is made <laughs> yes has a long history with coca-cola in fact it was coca-cola advertising in the 1930s that popularized that version of santa claus depictions of santa of course existed prior to that but this was sort of like the definitive version this is one where you close your eyes and say picture santa claus and you're picturing the coca-cola santa claus basically most people, yeah. In 1931, Coke commissioned illustrator Hayden Sunbloom to paint Santa for their Christmas advertisement. And like I said earlier, that image is what we think of when we think of Santa Claus. We'll put that on our website, by the way. I like to think, I, I, I can't imagine this did not take place, but I imagine someone representing this movie and the Sulkins dialed up Coca-Cola and said something to the effect of, hey, you want to you wanna pour some money into our movie? <laughs> that, that pun was intended, by the way. You want to pour some money into this movie? Guys, Coca-Cola, you know? You know, if you don't, you know, I, I can just dial up Pepsi and they'll be in the Santa Claus movie. Yeah, I can picture the like the BZ equivalent at Coca-Cola on the phone with the producers of Santa Claus the movie. And as soon as the word Pepsi is mentioned, he, he does that. <laughs> and they wonder how they make it sound. <laughs> the Coke guy's face turns so red like that. And then he goes, Pepsi? 
So I'm going to guess that's how Coke ended up in this movie, but I have no documentation of that. But can't you picture that taking place, that phone call? Yes. Them sort of strong-arming Coca-Cola into sponsoring this movie? Yeah. I mean, Pepsi would have jumped on it, I'm sure. Because it was thanks to this product placement from McDonald's and Coca-Cola and other brands that we'll see later on in this movie... And selling the distribution rights, the foreign distribution rights to this movie, that the Sulkins were able to recoup their entire budget for this movie before it was even released. Mm -hmm. Even though it didn't make as much money as they hoped. They didn't lose anything. Yeah, the Sulkins didn't lose any money on this movie. Yeah. Now we see Cornelia, she's slowly backing back into her house. We only see her little feet and her little shoes. Yeah. Because the the focus of attention is clearly the Coke can. (laughs) That Coke has to be on the screen for a full minute. (laughs) Sadly, the Coca-Cola minute wasn't as nicely contained as our McDonald's section. So you'll have to come back next week. We're going to leave you on a Coke cliffhanger. Uh That's going to be the title of this episode. (laughs) Ben, I just nailed it. So Cornelia, then she shuts the door, and Hungry Joe dashes towards the food once the coast is clear. Mm -hmm. He opens the gate before he enters the patio area. Mm -hmm. Cornelia ducks down on the other side of the door, and our minute ends. Yes. So according to the book, Cornelia set down the food on the steps and then turned and went back into the house again, closing the door firmly behind her. And then Joe stayed where he was for a long moment, gaping in astonishment. What was going on? Had she really set that food out for him? Why? He bit his lip, too used to tricks and betrayals, to quite believe that something good was really happening to him. But a gust of wind carried the smell of the roast beef to his sensitive nose, and he realized suddenly that he didn't care why. All that mattered was the food was there. And quietly and cautiously, still on his guard for a trap, he started forward through the bushes toward the doorstep. He did not hesitate at all in the movie. No, he did not. In the movie, he was like, uh, I mean, in the book, he was like, uh, I don't know about this. But in the movie, he was like, food! (laughs) Food! (laughs) Which I don't blame him. He's got to be starving. So, Ben, before we close out this episode, I do have some interesting notes about both uh, Christian Fitzpatrick, who plays Joe, of course, and Carrie Kay, Mm -hmm. who plays Cornelia. We have to give a big shout out, special thanks to Darren. He is a super fan of this movie. I used to think we were big fans of Santa Claus the movie. I think he might top us, honestly. (laughs) And he has recently acquired a UK press kit for the movie. Now, Ben and I have a USA press kit that TriStar came out with, and it does not go into the amount of detail mm-hmm. that the UK version does. And Darren was so gracious, he scanned it for us. Which obviously took him a lot of time. So thank you so, so, so much. <laughs> and hopefully in the not-so-distant future, we'll, we, we will have him on mm-hmm. this very podcast to discuss a minute of this movie. <laughs> Hopefully we're doing it justice. I hope so. (laughs) Hopefully he's not sitting there every week going, I could do better than this. I guess we'll find out when he joins us. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever we talk to him. But anyway, this is the page of the press kit all about Christian Fitzpatrick. It says Santa Claus is his first professional appearance. 
a 12-year-old from the Franklin Fine Arts School in Chicago, Illinois. And this is a quote from Christian himself saying, My mom is a part-time teacher and my dad is a part-time psychologist and teacher. He enrolled me in the Fine Arts School, which takes in drama, art, and dance. I took art. That's all I came there for. Then they said we have to do two fine arts, so I took up drama. <laughs> Five auditions later, the part of the New York street kid Joe was his. This is another quote from Christian, and this goes into a bit of Joe's backstory that you thought his backstory was sad already. Mm. Listen to this. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> Joe has no parents, no friends, nothing that makes his life worthwhile. He doesn't go to school either. He does hang around schools a lot during weekdays because the kids like to throw out their lunches before they even finish them. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't see any shots of Joe hanging around the schools eating out of trash cans, but... No. I, I can totally picture it. We do see him with some kids later on, but... Which may or may yeah. not be around a school, so now we'll have to yeah. keep an eye open. It's so sad. I hate Joe's life. <laughs> Santa Claus the movie meant several months away from home. And this is Christian speaking again. It's a lot harder work than I imagined. I miss my mom a lot and my brother and all my friends and the dogs. We have a boxer and a Doberman. <laughs> boxer breeding occupies first place in his affection for the moment. Acting has to take its chance among several other time interests like soccer and breakdancing. Oh, very nice. So there you go. There's a little glimpse into Christian. I, I'm very appreciative of this press kit because information about him is super hard to find. Mm -hmm. So boxer breeding was something that he was doing? Yes, boxer breeding. And here is the page for Carrie K. Heim as Cornelia. She will celebrate her 12th birthday a few days after Santa Claus' movie opens worldwide in November 1985. Already a veteran of four years of commercials and television and films. Born in Japan, where her father was an international insurance broker, but remembers little except the cherry trees and distinctive Japanese parks. Since returning to the United States, Holm has been an apartment on Madison Avenue in New York City. Attends a regular local school, which she apparently called very academic, with a preference for reading and science. This is uh, Carrie, age 11, talking. I hate most maths, but I love algebra. And we're back to the press kit talking now. At this point, very pleased not to be studying at a special stage school. And Carrie quoted again, saying, The competition in class is fierce enough without the additional aspect of competing for additions. Not an avid moviegoer, Carrie says. I was the last person on the street to see E.T., and still undecided about acting as an adult career. I've taken to acting very well. I really enjoy it. But I think I want to go to university first to study writing. 11-year-old Carrie really had her life together. She, she had did. it all mapped out. She did. I mean, she wasn't too far off. <laughs> I'm in my 40s, and I don't have my life mapped out as well as Carrie did at age 11. No. So. And one more quote from Carrie before we wrap things up. The most difficult scenes are those where I don't have any lines. You have to get across the feeling just by looking. The difference between acting frightened and being able to say out loud, oh boy, I'm scared. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, 
Carrie, when she was 11, I think is so much more put together than I am. And I'm almost 40 years old. <laughs> Makes me question things in life. <laughs> and that quote about Carrie and her math studies brings to mind Cornelia doing her homework a couple minutes ago when we saw on her desk mm-hmm. that dictionary of mathematics. So now I'm curious. <laughs> now that I'm curious, Ben. <laughs> Was that a prop book? Or, no, no, yeah. Was that was that just her work homework, normal homework that wasn't prop homework? That was her real so. math book. Quick, <laughs> quick to the carry hotline. I'm gonna guess that was just a prop. <laughs> yeah, probably. We're, we're not going. To, we're not I going mean, to waste Carrie's every time kid. on questions like that. Important things about every the retainer. every kid has a math okay. book. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a big stretch there. True, true, true. Maybe. Well, maybe she'll listen to this. I doubt it. And we'll see. Right. We only want to call the carry line right. in emergencies. But thanks again to Darren for sending yes. that along. That was great information that we had never seen before. And there's even more that we'll get to in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Each one of these supporting elves has a few quotes from the movie. And we have some of them coming up soon. So mm-hmm. you'll definitely want to keep coming back every week. To see what they had to say about their characters. Yeah. So it's going to be super fun. So Ben, where can everybody find us on social media if they don't know where we are already? <laughs> We are at Santa Minute on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also reach out and email us, SantaByTheMinute at gmail.com. And we always have our website listed in the description of the podcast. You know, Ben. Yes. You know, I stole your opening line last week. Uh-huh. How about you steal my ending line oh, this week? I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you do it. You can do it, Ben. Okay, okay. I don't even know what you say. <laughs> You only have edited, like, 50 episodes together. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll start you off. Okay. We po- we po- I'll say it quietly, okay? okay? We post a brand new episode we post- each and every Wednesday. Okay, I got it, I got it. Okay, okay. start from there, okay? okay. Go. We po- and action. You know, Carrie at age 11 would have had this nailed down in three seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We post a brand new episode every Wednesday. <laughs> and I don't know what you say. What do you say after that? And as always, you can listen to any of our episodes. <laughs> okay. okay, now say it like that. <laughs> that same inflection and everything. Okay. And as always, you can listen to any of our episodes. For free!